Hey, listeners, this is your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. If you're looking for a way to support my podcast, here are three quick things you can do. Number one, visit iTunes and review the show. More reviews help get the word out. Number two, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and support my shows. A dollar a month helps a little, and five bucks a month helps a whole lot more and gets you some neat things in return. Number three, tell a friend about the show by sharing links to your favorite episodes via social media. As always, thanks for listening and supporting my podcasts. And now, on with the show. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With the Rob O'Hare. Sprite Castle. Hello, and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing Sword of Fargal, which was a suggestion by super listener Joseph Shrippa. What system did this game originally originate on? To find out the answer to that awkwardly worded trivia question <laughs> later in the episode. Before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy Headlines. In the last episode of Sprite Castle, I mentioned that one-on-one was the first computer game that was officially authorized or backed uh, by professional athletes. And I had a comment from Scott Tyrell on Twitter who said, what about Pele soccer (laughs) for the Atari VCS? Uh, And that is a great point. Obviously, Pele soccer predates uh, one-on-one for uh, home computers. Uh, I got that information fact uh, either from Wikipedia or Moby Games. I think it's Moby Games is where I got that. Yep, I see it right here in my notes. Um, So I'm not really sure why they said that. The only thing I could come up with is that it does say it is the first computer game, and so maybe they've made a differentiation about the uh, Atari 2600 not being a computer, even though uh, we all know that it's the Atari VCS. <laughs> uh, so maybe it's a computer, maybe it's not a computer, uh, who knows, but may, I, I assume that's where they have drawn the line on that little trivia fact. So uh, I think Scott is correct that uh, Pele Soccer obviously uh, predates one-on-one and its affiliation with Larry Bird and Dr. J. Um, I was searching eBay for copies of Jordan versus Bird one-on-one, and I found uh, a handheld version of it released in 1988. I did not know this existed, and I have a small collection. I'm looking at it right now. I would say of half a dozen handheld systems. I have some old, the old original uh, Mattel football and basketball. I have a newer, the re-release of a couple of those. And uh, what else is over there? There's a handheld Simon and a few other things. So I'm not really a avid collector of those. Mostly it's as I run across them in thrift stores, but uh, uh, this one looks pretty cool. This uh, Jordan versus bird uh, 1988 handheld. So if I find one of those cheap enough, I could, Add that to the collection. Uh, I also got some feedback about my comments about uh, the, do you say the, the 64? 
that is the Kickstarter project for the new re-release of the Commodore 64. Uh, one of the things that was mentioned, I, I questioned how the cartridge port was going to work, and I got uh, some feedback from a few different people, but it was Henrik Anderson who told me that it is uh, from the Kickstarter, this is a quote for the Kickstarter, that it is not compatible with uh, the Commodore 64 old cartridges and, and will need some sort of unspecified converter. So I'm still not completely on board with the brand new uh, D64, but as always, I will stand on the sidelines and wish them the best. And I guess we'll see how uh, that, that plays out in the future. Now on to news. I guess the biggest news uh, in regards to Sprite Castle is that I have finally joined the, I was going to say the 20th century, I guess it's the 21st century, uh, and created a Patreon account. Now what a Patreon is different than Kickstarter. Uh, what Patreon is, is, um, I suppose Kickstarter is if you want to donate money to a project for one single project. So in other words, um, like the, the 64, if they need startup money for making cases or, or whatever they need, you, you donate money to that project. Um, Patreon, if you're not familiar with it, is more of an ongoing payment system. You sign up for Patreon, uh, you become a patron of a person, and you select uh, different goals. And it's a uh, you could set it up per podcast or per blog, per article, however you choose to do it, or you can do it on a monthly basis. And I'm doing so many different podcasts right now that I just don't think it would be um, I don't think people would be interested in paying per podcast. So I've set up two, uh, payment levels. The first is a dollar a month. The other one is $5 a month. And, um, you could go to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara, find out the details. Uh, I want to say a couple of things about this. Uh, number one, the show goes on either way. If nobody gives a penny, then the show keeps going on. <laughs> so this isn't a, uh, I'm not holding out for money or anything like that. Um, the second thing is I, a lot of you guys have donated money through the PayPal links. Uh, a lot of people have sent me the $5 or the $10. Um, I just purchased a second microphone, uh, and I plan on using that. So I'm starting off this Patreon, uh, fun drive thing, uh, about $130 in the hole, <laughs> which is how I like to do things. Uh, so uh, for everybody that that's donated money to me, I'm going to go back through and try to find everybody. And I will put you on, uh, the Patreon list for there's, um, the, the $1 a month obviously helps. I mean, everything helps towards the cost of, of hosting and, and hardware and all the things uh, that I purchased for the show. Uh, the $5 one goes a lot further and there are a few additional things that I'm going to be doing. I don't want to turn this into a whole, uh, selling thing for Patreon, but, uh, if you do sign up for the $5 a month list, you're going to get access, uh, to two things right off the bat and probably more as time goes on. Uh, but the first thing is I'm going to start adding video supplements to my podcasts. Um, definitely for Cactus Flax, my arcade show, definitely for Sprite Castle, which is this show. Maybe, maybe not for You Don't Know Flack. Uh, if there are videos that will work into the show's theme, that I may add videos to those. Uh, those 
I'm not holding those out only for people that donate. Everybody's going to get to see those. But if you're on the Patreon list, then as I upload those to YouTube, you'll get to see them first before anyone else. Also, anyone who signs up for that $5 a month level, uh, you are going to get access to my Google Docs folder. Now, you have to have a Google account. That's on you. I'm not setting up Google accounts for everybody. But if you have a Google or a Gmail uh, email address, then... Uh, I will add you as a read-only to my folder where I create all my podcast drafts. So you'll get to see what I'm working on. You'll get to see drafts for upcoming shows. You'll get access to my spreadsheets where you can see what games uh, I'm considering reviewing. There's also a a blank sheet in there that I use for drafting upcoming uh blog posts, things like that. So, you know, if you are into behind the scenes kind of stuff, you want to see how the show gets put together, things like that, then, um, then that's definitely a thing uh, that you might enjoy. So anyway, uh, if you want more details, go to, uh, patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. You can see the things you can sign up. Uh, and if you don't, we're still friends. <laughs> we're all still friends here. We're all still into retro gaming. Uh, but, uh, you know, really the, the main reason I've set this up is because so many of you have asked me to set this up. I have literally had probably 20 requests uh, to set up something, some sort of uh, payment system. Uh, I should mention that it is um, a monthly payment, but you can opt out at any time. It doesn't tell me that you've come or you're gone, so there's no hard feelings um, and if you want to do a one-time donation, you can still do it through the PayPal account. And if you don't want to do a donation at all, I completely understand that. Uh, and again, we're all good. <laughs> so anyway, that's enough about Patreon. Let's talk about Commodore stuff. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about uh, very briefly, I don't have that much to say, but I happen to catch... Uh, my buddy con Commodore, uh, he runs the constellation Commodore podcast. Now it is in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish or understand Spanish, but, uh, I have checked out this guy's podcasts. I've looked at, uh, the website. I love what they're doing. And I just happened to catch, uh, him doing a live broadcast on YouTube. And so, uh, I jumped in and, uh, on this episode, he was playing a pet uh, games for the uh, Commodore pet. And it was really uh, a fun thing to do. And I had, what I had open was Google translate in another window where I could go from English to Spanish and Spanish to English. So as people were chatting in the chat window, I was able to convert uh, back and forth between English and Spanish uh, in nearly real time. And so it was uh, really exciting. It was really fun to watch that. I was glad to uh, participate in, in as much as I could. I, I couldn't understand a lot of what was said uh, during the actual audio portion of the podcast, but uh, there are some things you can understand because I think Commodore and games uh, to a certain extent are kind of a universal <laughs> language. So, uh, but that was pretty cool. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. The Nostalgia Nerd has released a series uh, How to Make a Commodore 64 Game in Basic. Episode one, of course, links to all these things are always in the show notes. Um, but if you want to go check that out, uh, and, you know, I think anybody can, can master basic, uh, well, maybe not master. There's a lot, there's a lot to basic, but, uh, it, it's definitely a low, uh, 
point of entry, you know, and, and with the Commodore 64, when you turn it on, you're sitting at, uh, I mean, you have basic load and you're ready to go. You don't need to load DOS or you don't need to load anything like that. So if you're wanting to play around uh, with creating a game in basic, then this is a good uh, tutorial series to jump in with. Uh, let's see what else. There's a new episode of Commodore Free, which has been released. It is issue number 93. There's a review in there for uh, the Microsound 64 keyboard. There's a review of uh, Jamit, which is a uh, basketball game that was released earlier this year. So lots of good stuff. Commodore Free uh, is awesome, and it is free. There's no, I mean, everybody who's into Commodore stuff should be checking out both it and Reset. Uh, two great Commodore magazines. And speaking of Reset, uh, Reset is now hosting the Commodore 64 4 kilobyte crap game competition. Now, I have looked at some of these, and they're not all crap, but um, they're definitely not as polished as <laughs> some of the um, more professional releases that uh, came out for the system or continue to come out for the system. But uh, if you want to check those out, follow that link. Um and speaking of new games, I did see the new release uh, called Kabura, which was by Sputnik World. It is a side-scrolling game set in the future. Uh, it is free, available for download, but they may do some physical copies in the future. Uh, so if you are into collecting physical stuff, you might want to keep an eye out on that. And if you're into playing new Commodore 64 games, then you will want to follow that link and check out Kabura. And finally... I saw this news story floating around. I went and checked out the thread. There's a long thread about it on Lemon64, and there um, is a group of people releasing. It's called the Commodore 64 C64 Retro Play Project, and what they are doing is re-releasing games, classic uh, Commodore 64 games, and bundling them with an emulator. So there's no install needed. There's no configuration needed. You double-click on the file, and it launches the game. Uh, the first one they've released that I saw was Bubble Bobble. I did give that a try, and it did work. Um, it's about 2 meg for an executable. So uh, it's, it's slightly, I mean, if you think about it with the emulator and everything built in. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think for most people, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast uh, has an emulator of choice already. I use WinVice on the PC. Um, there are uh, ports for Vice for almost everything. So if you already have an emulator uh, and can play these games, then I don't know that this is um, for you. But if you have a friend who maybe used to have a Commodore 64 and they're not a big computer person anymore, you could just send this file to them. They could double click on it and play a game. Now, Obviously, the catch is that since they are bundling these, you would have to wait uh, for the uh, retro play package, you know, to make the, your game. <laughs> so uh, and, and unless they release some sort of, uh, you know, packaging system where you could create your own, which I haven't seen anything about. So, uh, you know, one game down, 20,000 to go. Uh, but, um, you know, it's an interesting idea, especially for people that aren't big into, uh, emulation or into messing around with computers. If you wanted to, I mean, it's definitely the, the lowest cost, uh, of entry, you know, for, for playing one of these games. So it's an interesting idea. I will watch to see how that develops. Uh, and now let's get to this episode's King of the Castle. 
This episode's King of the Castle is Extent of the Jam, also known as Louis Gorenfeld. <laughs> Extent of the Jam correctly guessed that the, uh, along with about a uh, hundred other people, <laughs> but he was first, guessed that the song uh, on the one-on-one episode was Free Bird, which was, of course, uh, for Larry Bird. And there were some elaborate uh, connections that were drawn. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously the, the big one was, you could say, I would have accepted Larry Bird. I would have accepted free throws uh, or Larry Bird shooting free throws. Any of those, any combination of that uh, was acceptable for uh, the connection on the last episode. Uh, I don't always put... Uh, links or anything to people who uh, win the King of the Castle, but Extent of the Jam is a very talented 8-bit musician. Not just 8-bit, but a, I guess, I don't know what you call it, like a retro-style musician. He has his own SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com forward slash Extent of the Jam, and he also has a Bandcamp site set up, which is extentofthejam.bandcamp.com. So if you're into the 8-bit type music, uh, he, he cranks these things out, and it's really, really cool. The guy's really talented. I've listened to a lot of his stuff, and I was thrilled to see him uh, enter and win the last episode's King of the Castle. So congratulations again to you. Uh, if you would like to be the next episode's King of the Castle, all you need to do is correctly identify the secret 8-bit game played during the show's closing credits, the song will not be from the game discussed in the episode, but will relate to the episode's theme in some way. For example, Free Bird, Larry Bird, one-on-one. Once you have identified the secret song, the first person to send the song title to me, either through Facebook, Twitter, email, or the show's voice mailbox, will be the next king of the castle. All those contacts are listed in the show's closing credits. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paperboy who just crashed into a guy using a jackhammer. Okay, now I'm mad. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. So I left talking snack out of the last episode, and no one said thank you. No one said good thing it's gone. In fact, quite the opposite. A lot of people said, where was that? We missed that episode. Uh, it's a goofy thing that I do on this show that not a lot of people do. So talking snack is back. And, um, on this episode, now there's no food in sword of Fargle, but this is a game that I played uh, very early on in, uh, as a Commodore owner. And one of my favorite snacks as a kid was Doritos and ranch dip. I love Doritos and ranch drip. It's not, it's not the same if it's ruffles. It's not the same if it's French onion dip. It has to be Doritos and ranch dip. And as a kid, I would go uh, sneak the bag of Doritos, bring it into my room, bring in the, uh, the, the little cup, the plastic cup of ranch dip, which as far as I'm concerned is a single serving. <laughs> you might, you might get two out of it. <laughs> but, um, and then the, the worst part was when you would get the, um, the orange, dust that would cake up on your fingers and you would kind of have to rub it off so you wouldn't get orange on your keyboard. But when I would play a lot of these games, that was my, one of my snacks of choice was Doritos and ranch dip. And so when I fired up this game, that was the first thing I thought of. 
And the next time we were at the store, I did pick up, I didn't get the giant bag of Doritos that I might've got as a kid. I got a smaller bag and I did get a thing of ranch dip and it turns out that's not really a single serving. It's about a four or five or six person serving. Uh, but I did have some chips and dip as I played this game. It brought back some great memories. Uh, and speaking of memories, let's start talking about this classic game, Sword of Fargo, which was published for the Commodore 64 in 1983 by Epix. It is a game for one player that uses both joystick and keyboard controls. As I skim through the list, uh, we have covered several Epix games on this show already. In fact, on episode number two, we covered Winter Games. On five, we did California Games. And on episode 11, we did Jumpman Jr. So we have... Uh, discussed multiple games by Epics on Sprite Castle. Uh, this game was originally programmed by Jeff McCord. Jeff uh, released a game called Gamma Quest 2 for the Commodore Pet, which was released in Basic. Uh, he pitched it to Epics, imported it over to the VIC 20, and then eventually to the Commodore 64. Jeff McCord. Uh, talks about being a game programmer and that he's programmed lots of things, but the only thing that I can find his name on is Gamma Quest 2 for the pet, which was the early version of Sword of Fargo and Sword of Fargo. So uh, in the show notes, I'm going to add a couple of links. The first one is to uh, a Reddit page where he did a AMA, which is an Ask Me Anything article, and it's literally called, Hi, my name is Jeff McCord, and I am the creator of Sword of Fargo. You can find out uh, more information about the game there and also on Fargold.com, which is the official website of Sword of Fargo. The context of this game takes us back to the early 1980s. This is a time of Dungeons and Dragons. This is a time of uh, Lord of the Rings revival. So uh, this type of sword and sorcery hack and slash type game uh, has become very popular. It is described as a roguelike game, uh, similar to NetHack, all those types of games. So if you're familiar with those types of games, you already have a pretty good idea of what Sword of Fargo looks and plays like. The manual begins with a long fiction story, and it tells all about uh, the adventure that you're going on and who the guy is and blah blah blah. Uh, I mean, it's literally, I think, five or six pages of story. So uh, it's one of those things that if you bought the game, you got the story. And if you didn't buy the game, then you were just stuck with the game and, and maybe didn't know the entire backstory. This was a, a time when the backstory often didn't go into the game due to uh, memory or uh, storage restraints. So if you want the full story, you have to uh, have purchased the game. Uh, when you boot the game, a title screen comes up. It says Epix presents the sword of Fargoal. There's a little line and it says by Jeff McCord, copyright 1983. Uh, we then go to the menu screen, which tells us our experience points, our experience level, the maximum amount of hits. That's our hit points. Uh, your battle skill, which is a number. I don't know that it means anything per se, other than the higher, the better. Uh, what level of dungeon you're on, the dungeon level, and how many monsters you have slain. And then there is a long wait. And the reason there is a long wait is because uh, the game randomly generates every level of the dungeon every game. 
So the map has to be generated. Uh, this could take somewhere between 30 seconds and a minute, I would say. Uh, and once it's finished, you go to the level and you have to move up and down levels in the dungeon. You're working your way down. We'll talk about this more in a minute to find the sword of Fargo. Now, if you go up a level and then go back down, you will find uh, that it has been randomly generated again. <laughs> so uh, every time you enter a level of the dungeon, it is randomly generated. In fact, if you go down a set of steps and then go right back up, you will find yourself in a new level. The controls uh, for your character are done with a joystick. You can move in all eight directions. If you're standing on steps, the fire button goes down. Uh, but to launch po uh, spells or quaff potions, <laughs> quaff is a uh, rogue term, uh, you press keys on the keyboard. So there are about seven, I think, if I look here, yeah, seven. Um, H is a healing potion. I is invisibility. R is regeneration. That's um, if you take that, you will regenerate your hit points at twice uh, of the normal rate. T is teleport. S is shield. L is a light spell. And O turns light on and off. Now, uh, <laughs> there are things, I think I, I wrote this in my notes later, but it sounds, uh, might as well talk about it now. Um, you're the, the amount of spells, the amount of potions that you have, that would be what's considered to be your inventory. During the game, during the levels, you cannot view your inventory. So there's no way to tell how many healing potions you have or how many teleport spells you have. You can only find those things in between the levels when it displays it. So as I played this game more, I found myself taking notes. <laughs> Uh, so in between each level, when it would tell me how many uh, shield spells I have or light spells, things like that, I would make a little note uh, because you're you're not going to be able to find that information while you're playing. And some of it, like how many healing potions you have, can be uh, somewhat important. So let's get to the gameplay of Sword of Fargo. Again, this is a dungeon crawler. Uh, it's one of the earliest ones. It's very similar to Rogue and those other types of games. The goal is to retrieve the Sword of Fargo, which is hidden somewhere between the 50 or 15th and 20th level of the dungeon. Uh, once you find the goal uh, and, and retrieve the sword, you have to make your way back out of the dungeon. You have 2,000 seconds, which is 33 minutes and 20 seconds, to do that. Again, as you are moving your way back up, uh, you will find that every level is random, just as when you made it back down. <laughs> uh, I, I, so I did mention that uh, each level is randomly generated each time you visit it. Uh, you will find steps on each one that some lead up, some lead down. Uh, you just press your fire button whenever you stand over the steps and move up and down. Each level begins completely dark, uh, so you can't see the map. Uh, you have a three-by-three three grid that you can see around you. And as you move around, the map is revealed. So um, it doesn't remain darkness once you've you've gone around. But there are so many things to find on each level that you literally have to move around and cover basically every pixel of every level if you want to find everything. Uh, the movement of this game is slow. It feels like you're walking through molasses <laughs> a lot. Uh, like you, the Sword of Fargo, the dungeon is perhaps underwater. It just has that really sluggish feel. 
And there's a special effect they've added, which sounds to me like monster growling. That sound is played through some sort of basic subroutine, which pauses the entire game. So as you're trying to walk, uh, when that sound plays, the whole game freezes. And it happens about every 10 steps. It's very, very annoying. Uh, In addition to that, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about fighting, but uh, you fight uh, by moving on top of another monster. So you step on the square that they're uh, that they're standing on, and that initiates a fight. Now, if you initiate the fight by moving on top of their square, then uh, you can leave. You can flee the fight if you're about to get killed. If they move on top of you and they have the initiative, then you cannot, and you will fight to the death, and a lot of times that means your death. The problem with this is that if it plays that sound, everything pauses, and then when the game reconvenes, the monster can move right on top of you, uh, and so it just throws off the timing for everything. It's, It's really... I mean, I don't know that it's a bug, but it's a very, very annoying feature of this game. So, as I mentioned, uh, you will find all sorts of monsters as you move throughout the dungeons. Uh, On the first level alone, or first couple of levels, you'll find werebears and and elven rangers and interdimensional spiders and all kinds of crazy things. Um, Sometimes... Now, you don't know what they are until you move on top of them. I mean, the the graphics are different, but you don't know specifically what it's going to be. Sometimes they're described as weak or inferior, and if that happens, you usually beat them in one uh, exchange. But, again, you don't know until you've initiated the fight. Uh, Also, characters are characterized into human and non-human. So, like an elven ranger or a fighter would be... Uh, human and uh, a, a spider or something would not be human. The human ones can steal your gold. Now, the minute that happens, they will make a hightail away from you, uh, and you'll need to catch them and fight them in battle. And if you beat them, you'll get your gold back. Uh, if they move outside of your vision purview, either that little grid or if they move in an area that you haven't um cleared on the map yet, then they pretty much disappear and you have lost your gold. Uh, Again, to fight, you just move on to the tile that they are occupying and the game, you know, goes through turn-based. It says you hit them, they hit you, you miss, they hit, whatever. Um, And if you initiated the fight, you can move off of that tile and run and try to regenerate hit points. Uh, The bad guys in this game do not regenerate hit points, so you can... Uh, you know, wear them down, then move off, go regenerate some hit points, and then come back uh, and fight them again and destroy them. On each level, you will find lots of gold. Sometimes you find gold after killing a monster. Mostly you find it just laying around the dungeon in little bags of gold. You can carry 100 gold pieces at a time. Now, in the lower levels, you find usually uh, bags of gold contain between 10 and 20 uh, pieces of gold. So you can find four or five of them and carry them around. Then you can't carry any more gold. Uh, The one exception to that is uh, there are these um, magic sacks that you can find. And for each magic sack, they're cumulative. And each one that you pick up, you can carry an additional 
100 gold pieces. So if you find, you know, another one, then you could carry 200 gold pieces, so on and so forth. Uh, now, gold can't be spent in this game. You can't buy anything. You can't buy better armor or better weapons. Uh, but what the gold is for is you exchange it for experience points, and you do that on the sanctuary tile. So on every level of the dungeon, there is a sanctuary. So you have to go find the sanctuary tile, move on top of it, and it trades in all the gold you're carrying and converts it to experience points, and that's how you... Uh, move up in levels. You need 200 experience for level one, 400 for level two, 800 for level three, and it just doubles. Uh, so it's harder to level up as the game goes on. Uh, while you're standing on the sanctuary tile, you regenerate hit points twice as fast. Um, it also, the manual says that monsters won't attack you or won't be drawn to you when you're on the sanctuary tile, but that's not true. <laughs> and in fact, I got killed, uh, while standing on the sanctuary tile, I got attacked by a, a monk. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's not true at all. Uh, you'll also run across little random tiles. They look, um, they're just, you can tell them whenever you see them, they look like a little grid, um, and there's a 50-50 chance of those being either a trap or a treasure. And the traps are sometimes teleport. Sometimes the ceiling falls in on you. Uh, I don't know that I've ever been killed by a trap, but it's certainly possible uh, for that to happen. But, you know, you definitely want to step on every one because that's where you're going to get your treasure. You're going to get your magic sacks. You'll get beacons, um, enchanted weapons. You could get plus one for your weapon. Uh, all those kind of things come out from the little treasure square. So you definitely want to get all of those. Uh, and again, I, I talked about the spells. Uh, there's invisibility where when you do that, the monsters can't see you. There's the regeneration where you build your hit points twice as fast as normal. There's teleport. Uh, because the maps are randomly generated, occasionally it will generate a map where you can't exit. <laughs> you can't get to the stairs. And you need a teleport spell to get out of that. Or if you can find stairs that go up or down, then you can go to a previous level uh, and then come back and... Uh, it will, you know, regenerate another level. It's kind of time consuming, but unfortunately that's the, um, uh, there wasn't any logic, I guess, built into the game to determine that each map would be, uh, beatable. There's no food in this game. There's no food element. A lot of people, uh, if you've played rogue, I played a lot of rogue on the PC and, um, you know, because everything's randomly generated, there were games where you died because you ran out of food. You couldn't find food and you just died of hunger. Uh, but there's no food and there's no hunger in this game. So that's uh, it takes that element out of it, which is uh, kind of nice because you don't want to lose the game just because, you know, the game didn't randomly deposit enough food for you to win. Uh, there's also no cursed items. Uh, that's another thing that appears in a lot of roguelike games where you may get armor that's, um, you know, cursed and then you can't remove it. Uh, and there's also no identify scroll. That's another thing, uh, that's pretty common in rogue and a lot of those other types of games where you would cast, uh, identify and be able to identify what an object is, but because there's no cursed items in this game, then it's not really, uh, that important. Some other things that don't appear in this game, uh, and this is reflects more on the time than the actual programmer, but there is no way to save your game. So it's a one-time shot to make it down, try to retrieve the sword and come back up. 
there's no way to pause the game. Uh, there is, you know, obviously if you're playing through an emulator, but in the, in the game itself, there's no pause feature. And again, as I mentioned, there's no way to view your inventory. So uh, as you're playing, you need to pay attention in between the levels when it tells you how many spells and potions and things you have because uh, in the gameplay, you might want to know that. The manual doesn't talk about how the scoring happens, but um, you do get a score. And of course, the longer you play and the more things you kill, the higher your score is. Uh, but I'm not really sure like how many points each thing are worth. I didn't see that in the manual. The high score that I found online listed was around 320,000, which is uh, a lot higher <laughs> than I have got uh, over the past week or so while I've been playing this game. Uh, I found a slight trivia fact, which said McCord, that's Jeff McCord, the guy who wrote the game, uh, accepted an offer to publish this game from uh, Epics in 1982 on the Commodore VIC-20. Uh, it was called originally Sword of Fargal. I don't know how to pronounce this. G-A-O-L. So it wasn't originally Fargal. It was Fargal, which uh, is derived from the old English spelling of jail, which is G-A-O-L. But uh, the uh, people at Epics convinced them to make it Fargal. <laughs> so, um, you know, easier to say, easier to market, obviously. So that uh, was a change that happened early on. I didn't find a lot of magazine reviews for this game, but I think, uh, generally speaking, it is uh, considered to be a pretty good game. It is, again, an early type of roguelike or nethack style game. So for people that are used to modern games and dungeon crawlers, it may find this a little bit frustrating. But as far as uh, during you know the era in which it was created and played, I think a lot of people enjoyed this game. As I mentioned, uh, a similar game was made on the Commodore PET, and it was ported to the VIC-20 and then to the Commodore 64. So if you're wanting to play an original port of Sword of Fargal, then uh, you're probably going to be doing it on a Commodore system. But if you want to play this game today, uh, it's been remade a few times. It was remade uh, for Windows. There's a Sword of Fargal uh, port on Windows. It's called... It, it is called the remake. Um, and it's actually on windows and OS X. Uh, and you can find a download for that. Of course on, uh, oldgames.com, And these are all in the show notes. Uh, and then the game was ported by the original programmers, uh, and updated to iOS and Android. So, uh, you can go, I need to double check. I didn't see it on the store the last time I was on there, but I think it's back on there now, but you could get, uh, sort of Fargo for iOS, uh, or Android. And they are working on, uh, a new version, uh, sort of Fargo two. And it was a Kickstarter. It was uh, successfully kickstarted. I think it's uh, a year or two behind on its delivery date, but I'm hoping that that comes out. I mean, it looks really, really cool. And, uh, you know, it just takes the game to the next level. It updates a lot of things It updates the movement and the graphics and, and all that stuff. And it, and it, um, you know, it's a much bigger scale of a game, but it keeps the, the basic gameplay there. So I'm, I'm excited. I hope that, uh, sort of Fargo two does get released and does see the light of day because, um, you know, it's just a classic game and the original that was released, uh, for iOS and the remakes, you know, it's, 
uh, better graphics, but it's pretty much uh, the same gameplay. So I, I'm looking forward to see what uh, Jeff McCord and his team of programmers, where they take this game in the future. If you want to own the, an original copy of Sword of Fargo, there is a signed complete copy on eBay right now for $89. Buy it now. Uh, there's a disc-only version for 30 and a cassette-only version for about 10 uh, The last... One that I found that actually sold was for $67, which was a sealed cassette version for the VIC-20. So this game does come up for sale, uh, but it is uh, kind of expensive because it's it's a classic. It's an early epics game, and it's a you know classic representation of those roguelike games. Now let's get into my personal memories of Sword of Fargo. All right, time travelers! Now, my early exposure to the Commodore 64 took place uh, at my buddy Andy's house and also over at the Roark's house, which was my neighbor's across the street. Now, the Roark's mostly had cartridge-based games, as far as I can remember. I think they also had a data set, but for the most part, I remember playing Donkey Kong on cartridge over at their house. So, not a lot of disc-based games. Now, my buddy Andy was a different story. His dad was big into the Commodore, and we played lots of disc-based games over at his house. We played... um, you know, Impossible Mission, Ghostbusters, and this was all prior to 1985 when I got my own Commodore 64. So when I got my own Commodore 64 and I met Jeff and I kind of got all these people together, so we all swapped games and everybody, you know, eventually ended up with a copy of what everybody else had. And that's how I got a copy of Sword of Fargo. So I do remember playing this in 1985, but, um, you know, the minute I got it, I also got... Gateway to Apshai uh, and Temple of Apshai, which were similar games by Epics, but had been refined a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, later that summer is when I got Bard's Tale. So uh, the, I think the only reason why I don't have more memories of playing this is just because I came to the party a little bit late. If I had found this in 1983, this would have been one of my favorite games. In fact, uh, when we got a PC Junior, we did get a copy of Rogue in 1983 or 1984, and I played the crap out of it. We played Rogue all the time. So uh, this is definitely a game that I would have played more if I had got it earlier on. But by the time I got it, there were other games uh, that had improved on the process. And then again, uh, like I said, with with Wizardry and Bard's Tale, when they introduced the 3d view in the corner and animations and things like that. It really, um, you know, accelerated the development of these type of games. And so some of the older ones got left behind. So, uh, I, I did play this game. I did enjoy this game, but, um, like I said, I just, uh, because I found it a few years after it had been released, uh, I think I found some of the other adventures to be, uh, or to hold my attention a little bit more. For graphics, I give Sword of Fargo three out of five dimensional spiders. Uh, the, the graphics are nothing great, but uh, you can tell, you can see the little monsters moving around and you can see the dungeons. So, uh, you know, three out of five is middle of the road and that's, that's where I put the graphics. Uh, 
for music, I have to give it two out of five dimensional spiders. Uh, there is some music at the beginning of the game, but there's not very much throughout the game. For sound effects, again, I also give it two out of five dimensional spiders. Um, there are sounds. Uh, I would give it the middle of the road, but that growling noise that stops the game progress every time it happens, uh, I have to take a point away from that. So that's why it only gets two. Uh, overall gameplay, I gave this game four out of five dimensional spiders. I will issue a caveat with that. Again, it is a early roguelike game, so if you're not familiar with that style of gameplay, you may find this more frustrating. Uh, the movement is a little bit slow, uh, so there are um, some things that, that may take a little overcoming for you to play this game and really enjoy it, but if you give it a try, uh, if nothing else, I think you'll, you'll get some enjoyment out of it, and you'll see what the early roguelike games were like, especially on the Commodore 64. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you'd like to play this week's game, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and click the Downloads link at the top of the page, where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you'd like to send me a game request, feedback about this, or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at RobOhara at RobOhara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Sprite Castle, or leave me a voicemail on the Black Podcast Hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and ThrowbackNetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flack, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at RobOhara.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening, and thank you to all my new Patreon supporters. Now get back to rescuing swords, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.